0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for You Anytime, Anywhere. Today is Tuesday, September the 7th, and we study and pray the inspired and true word of God and put on our Christ goggles with Psalm 143. This is the week of Psalms. We had just ended our study in Hebrews last week. Next week, we get to start the book of Leviticus. I am beyond excited to be into that, mainly because I've never redone the whole thing before. And so to be able to dig deep, starting with Dr. John Kleinig on Monday um, in Australia, and for us to go piece by piece, verse by verse, and to find Christ. And first, we do that with the Psalms. And this Psalm is commonly known as a penitential Psalm. David pleads to the Lord Yahweh to hear his prayer and have mercy. And this is a psalm that is good for us, to plead for mercy and to know that he listens to us. For today we seek our Lord's help. So let's get praying, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten in part by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information of their great work around the world, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have the joy and honor of having with us Dr. Jason Sinkson, Professor of Theology at Concordia University in Mequon, Wisconsin, and also the author of the Concordia Commentary on Micah. Dr. Sinkson, welcome to Thy Strong Word. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Dr. Singson, this is our first time together um, and uh, it, like I said, it's a joy whenever we're able to have a professor on, especially one that has written a commentary, Of course, your commentary is not in the Psalms, but it, you know you know the Old Testament. so can you um, begin our time in uh, introducing yourself, your beloved family, and the work that you do at Concordia Mech 1?
1: Sure, my pleasure. Um, this is uh, my 16th year, I think of teaching at Concordia. Uh, Wisconsin, and um, this was, uh, as we mentioned in our earlier conversation, this is actually my, my first call, so uh, mm-hmm. this is where the Lord has placed me, and I'm very happy to be here. Um, I teach really kind of half and half, half uh, largely pre-sem students, uh, Greek and Hebrew, um, and then also half uh, general students, the introduction to the Bible, and, and I love doing both of those uh, for, for different reasons, uh, so it's a, it's a great... Great combination. Um, In terms of, uh, yeah, my professional uh, interests, uh, again, the MICA commentary, um, uh, working on a a proposal for Nahum for CPH is is kind of the the big project, I guess, for this year. Um, uh, My family, uh, a little bit about my family, my wife, Michelle, we just celebrated our 20th uh, wedding anniversary this summer, Mm. and uh, she's uh, trained as a deaconess in our church um but but has been serving in other capacities recently and uh our but she's also an organist um so that's part Mm -hmm. of her training uh we have two girls uh emma is is 16 and she's a sophomore uh here in uh north of of uh, milwaukee and Grafton, wisconsin and the younger daughter rachel is uh 12
0: so so tell us uh you know your emphases, so like you, your doctor, Doctor Sinkson, and so what was your emphasis or emphases? I don't know how to say it exactly uh, for your doctoral sure. work.
1: Um, I mean, the dissertation was again a, a history of biblical interpretation, which I guess more specifically, uh, early church interpretation of a couple of a couple of psalms, I guess, yes, uh, thirty-seven <laughs> and thirty-eight in the in the Septuagint order so just actually looking at actually (laughs) looking at uh the themes of like repentance um and and uh and a a little bit of philosophy in there well as well sort of repentance and 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 moral progress and how uh some of these fathers were were sorting through those, those two topics and how they interacted with one another so i'm very much interested um in the uh the way the the church has read the bible uh you know starting with the early you know greek and latin fathers but I've also, uh, not and I got to explore this in the Micah commentary, and, and apart from that, just continue to be interested in uh, Reformation-era exegesis, not just Luther, but post-Luther, Catraeus, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Polycarp Lizer, and there's just a number of different names in there. All this stuff, again, undiscovered treasures of the Reformation um, in our exegetical tradition. We all, we're more, pastors are more familiar with our systematic tradition, but we have a whole rich uh, exe- exegetical tradition, I think, that I hope gets explored further at some point.
0: And this is a reminder to you, our listeners, that we are so blessed in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod with pastors, theologians, professors who not only are um, teaching young people, but they're digging into the depths of how the Lord has been working throughout the generations and clearly professing Christ in our culture and, and writing, um, not only for, for our time today, but something like the Concordia Commentary for the, for the hope and the future that we have in Christ. So Dr. Singson, as we here to study 143, um, can you begin our time and ask the Lord's blessings in prayer?
1: Yeah, it's my privilege. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Dear Lord, uh, through your law, you bring us to repentance uh, and to our need for forgiveness. We pray that as we read your word, uh, as you promised to do, you bring about uh, repentance, but also bring us to faith and consolation through the one uh, mediator Jesus, your son, the Christ, the one righteous person uh, through whom we are offered righteousness, uh, forgiveness of sins, and salvation. Lord, uh, help us, uh, grant us your spirit, uh, who inspired your word, as we study your word. Uh, we know that you are at work in it. It is not an empty thing, but as you promised, we'll accomplish that for which you sent it. And strengthen us in the faith once we're all handed over to the saints. In Jesus' name
0: we pray. Amen. Amen. We will continue to pray, and as a psalm is not only something to sing, um, but it was written by David for prayer, uh, a prayer for him and a prayer for us. And as we know, when we do pray, we have the Holy Spirit that guides our thoughts, our minds, and points us to Christ. So, uh, Dr. Singson, one of my goals as we look at the psalms right now, how we are doing it is, um, between, like I said, between the books that we've been studying, we take a week in the Psalms. And we started with Psalm 1, and then we went to Psalm 150. And we've been going back and forth um, to be able to make sure that I get through majority of the Psalms as opposed to starting with 1 and getting you know, sidetracked at about 35, or probably around 37, which was your doctoral work anyways, but <laughs> to look at it in that direction. And so for now, I'm trying to focus our attention that when we study it, that we don't lose sight of it being a prayer. So now I will continue prayer, as you just did, by reading Psalm 143, and I invite you, our listeners, to pray with us, which will end with a Gloria Patri. So receive this word as we pray. As I, as I read this, we also pray together. It's psalm 143, a psalm of David, as he writes, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me, my heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old, I meditate on all that you have done, I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. As we hear the psalm this morning, Pastor, and pray this psalm, uh, what do you? Do you have some uh, themes or backgrounds that will help us start off on the right foot this morning.
1: Yeah, I mean, and first of all, I just I love the I love the praying of the psalm too, and, and, and using the psalms as a theme for prayer and how Scripture teaches us to pray. So I just yeah. I think that's extremely helpful. Um, yeah. So again. Um, in terms of grouping with other psalms, you know, that, that, that penitential theme, um, along with a number of others, 6, uh, 32, and 51 are are probably uh, the most most well-known. Um, one of the things that strikes me about this this psalm, but several psalms as well, is that in addition to that penitential theme, uh, speaking of the need for forgiveness, as I alluded to in, in my prayer um, in verse two, um, it connects that uh, to this external threat from an enemy Or enemies, so that's something I kind of like to explore: is the connection um, uh, between those two. In terms of the context of this psalm, again, we we don't have anything specific in the superscription. I know the LSB note uh, uh, says it is the Lutheran Study Bible note uh, says it is thought to be David's desolation, being driven from his throne by his son Absalom. However, you know, I, again, if, if we can fix it, which I'm not sure we can definitively, uh, maybe the context of the previous Psalm, uh, which, which, uh, says in the cave, when he was in the cave, a reference to David's flight from Saul, maybe our, our best shot at kind of the historical context. But like I said, we don't get that explicitly from the Psalm. That's more, uh, a bit, a bit theoretical. Um, so yeah, just, just a few basic things to consider there, I guess, at the outset.
0: So as we look at this, it says it's a penitential psalm, and and that's a fun word. How would you explain that to someone that this is a penitential psalm?
1: Yeah, a psalm of uh, a psalm that sort of deals with um, you know the confession of sins in, in some fashion. Um, again, not not as prominently in, in one forty three as in fifty three. You know, we, that's that's so clearly uh, first and uh, front. Front and center there, uh, but, but one that really, uh, where the where the speaker, the writer, the psalmist David, um, is is just you know, brought to this point of, you know, uh, like he says in Psalm 32, not not covering up his sins, but uh, got letting God cover the sin, right? That's um, so that's that's where God wants to bring us to to use the terms of uh, Psalm 32, from from trying to cover it up and hide it and, and deny it. To confessing it and realizing that the gospel is that God, uh, for the sake of Christ, uh, covers our sins for us by grace alone.
0: Well, then let's dig in. That's a phenomenal introduction. As we look at this, uh, are you ready to begin? Dig in. Ready to start? Sure. All right, let's do this once again to our listeners. We are reading and studying from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, Psalm 143, and we will start with verses 1 and 2. And David, David prays. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. So he appeals to the Lord to listen. Um, what is what is David? Well, what is he appealing? What is what? How is he starting this? How would you explain that?
1: Um, well, again, just with some, some some basic things. In a sense, like I said, you, you you're, you're praying the Psalms, and um, as I like to point out too, just studying any Scripture. how, how can we use it? How can we use it for prayer? What can we learn about prayer from the experts, right? I right, mean, <laughs> inspired right. experts of scripture. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that, that's, you know, just a basic point to be reminded of, maybe we all, we, we all need this, however schooled and experienced we are as Christians, just that, uh, prayer is not, um, a spiritual exercise of the sort that we're just making ourselves feel better by doing it. There's actually, you know the creator of the universe is is on the other end, uh, listening, <laughs> yep, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> uh, and so so that appeal is a nice reminder. And you know one of the things that that struck me too again I've I've been going through uh, I can't remember the name of the book now that CPH has maybe you can remind me on this but it's basically um, Luther's uh, introduction. Uh, to the Psalms, mm-hmm. um, and then it's got a prayer kind of at the end, and so forth. And so Luther has this sort of very catechetical approach. And I, I was thinking about, you know, what can what petition does this connect to? What commandment does this connect to? Yeah. And obviously, front and center, you know, uh, the name of God. You know, he gives it to us to be called upon, and he wants his name to be hallowed, and so forth. Uh, so we're we're exercising that. You know, both both the command uh, to pray, and and also in confidence, uh, the confidence that he that he listens to those prayers and answers them right mm-hmm. um one of the things that i again i'm i'm a grammarian as, as i said and so even when i'm teaching students not not reading the primary text necessarily i'll say like what who's what kind of verbs is god doing here or what what you know what kind of if you were to just kind of write down in a list you know the verbs of the psalmist the verbs of god you know that that can be kind of helpful helpful exercise and one of the things that struck me Again, basic point that's probably worth maybe being reminded of is just the path, the passivity, uh, the the complete dependence, the utter uh, beggarliness, I guess, or being the complete recipient uh, that David, and and ultimately all of us are, right, Mm -hmm. Um, for protection, uh, for forgiveness, uh, really kind of decreed in a sense, right? God gives life. He protects it. he, he, He redeems us in his son, grants us the forgiveness of sins. And by his spirit, he, he guides and instructs us, right? Which comes sort of later in, in, in this uh, psalm. Um, as, as Luther says in, um, you know, the, the, the large catechism, when he's talking about the creed, like God is God is a continual source of just pouring out things. God, the creator, continue to provide the spirit. The son gives his life for us. The spirit is poured out into us. And so um, just that respect, that receptiveness or the need to receive all these things freely from God God's hand, I think, comes through repeatedly from the first petition, from the first uh, prayer here to every other sort of command-slash-petition that David is asking from the Lord in this psalm.
0: And that's, that comes from the book, Reading the Psalms with Luther. Um, from Concordia Publishing House, which came out in 2007. That has been a a wonderful book for me. Like you said, the introduction will often give a a summary, but then also point us to different parts of the small catechism that it addresses. And like you said here, it definitely addresses um, a number of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer, because he admits who God is— and then he kind of, he pleads with them, hey, you're a righteous God, so please listen to me in that righteousness because I know you could destroy me at any moment. That's <laughs> kind of how he's praying. So, Pastor, Dr. sinkson any other thoughts you have on those first two verses?
1: Um, yeah, let's, um, you know, I guess, again, on that on that theme of mercy, too, you know, he he has two words um, uh, for, for, for prayer there, in a sense. And the second one is this, you know, um, uh, by pleas for mercy, right? So that really underscores that that it's not that this that nature of needing forgiveness is right first and foremost, and everything that we have and can hope to receive from God uh, <laughs> filters through that, right? Um, and I think the Psalm sh- shows clearly that important biblical point too of what is the basis of that forgiveness, right? Just like Psalm 51, it's it's for the sake of your name. It's it's nothing inside of us, right? But God sheer uh sheer graciousness um I, one, one of the things I, I wanted i found really helpful here because this term is, can be kind of a difficult one you kind of alluded to it there uh in your righteousness mm-hmm. um sometimes that word is used in a, a little different way that um uh i actually i think in, in this verse in, in really a, a gospel sense uh, one one commentator uh, said it i think in kind of a helpful way. Uh, Yahweh, the Lord's righteousness, is his fulfillment of the demands that exist between him and his people Israel, his mm-hmm. fulfillment of the covenant that he has made with the chosen nation, and here with the individual believer David. Yahweh's righteous judgments are saving judgments, um, so that he's, like Luther says when he's thinking about, uh, when he kind of had his gospel discovery and going through the Psalms, it's like it's God's righteousness for our good, you know, for our benefits. I think that's that's such a wonderful uh, wonderful comfort as well
0: and as we look um, at uh, oh, go ahead keep going
1: okay can I, can I still comment on two a little bit or Please, do you want oh, to
0: verse us? two as one i definitely wanted you to if yeah. you get there and, and you have notes on it no one living is righteous before you and that's and that's an yeah. important piece for us
1: it's an important piece um this this psalm you know the bible is um uh, you know certainly quotes Uh, The New Testament is just woven uh, here and there very beautifully and frequently with with the Old Testament, sometimes very clearly quoting and attributing that to the authors, but many times very subtly uh, alluding to, right? If you're following with the study Bible, you can kind of track some of those things in the notes and so forth. But um, verse 2 is, uh, many would argue, alluded to uh, on this topic of justification by faith in Romans 3.20. Uh, by works of the law, no human being will be justified before his sight. And similarly, Galatians 2:16, uh, by works of the law, no one no one is justified, no one is righteous um, uh, before you, right? And that's and that's why David appeals at the beginning of verse two uh, to enter not into judgment with your servant. You have the right to that would be completely just, uh, but he's appealing appealing to the mercy of God. Um, one of the things that um, I found comforting in just reading, again, some of our, our uh, uh, Lutheran uh, theologians sort of shortly after the time of Luther is that, you know, even as from the beginning to the end of our lives as Christians, we, we are completely and utterly dependent upon the grace of God in Christ and justification. So justification is not, is not just sort of the beginning, but it is the entirety <laughs> of our existence and life um, before God. Uh, in Christ. And, you know, when Paul says, when Paul's talking about justification in Romans 4 and he gives Abraham as the example, um, you know, some of the interpretation that I've read from from some of our, our, our Lutheran uh, Reformation folks is just pointing out the fact that he's not at the beginning of his life, but nevertheless, uh, Abraham's life, but nevertheless, Paul says, you know, God uh, uh, counts the ungodly, namely Abraham, who had already come to faith, as As righteous, so we're always constantly in need of that forgiveness. uh, No matter how long we've been in the faith, um, no matter where we are in sort of our growth in the faith, uh, we're we're still beggars in that sense. Um, And uh, there's there's great consolation in that as well.
0: Let's keep moving forward to verses 3 and 4. Um, like you said, he, he lays the groundwork of who God is. He's merciful. Who we are, not righteous. He is righteous. And then it continues to move forward, like you said, of this penitential nature about the reality of, of David and what's going on for him and for us. Verses 3 and 4. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. So he one of the one of the beauties of the Psalms, it's this very, I would say, earthy. I mean, he's not saying, Everything for me is good, like a, a good Minnesotan, I'm not sure what's like in Wisconsin, but in Minnesota, it's like, how you doing? Good. And you're not really I mean, how many times does someone says my spirit faints within me, and my heart is appalled. I mean, it's just not something that we usually will say, but it's very real about the real world. So, what's David telling mm. us here?
1: Mm. Well, again, thanks for yeah, thanks for pointing that out. And again, I think that that's helpful too, just in terms of what we can learn uh, for our own prayer lives from the Scripture. Just this this sort of utter honesty with God <laughs> that yeah. which we wouldn't usually share with other people. Obviously, God knows it, and uh, and He really is kind of encouraging us to, to pour out pour out our hearts, you know, before him. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, as I mentioned earlier, one of the things that strikes me about the Psalm too, is that it's not um, sort of uh, in contrast to Psalm 51. It's there are these other themes in this Psalm that you, if you're going to say, well, it's all about forgiveness. Well, what about the stuff with, you know, enemies, you know, pursuing him and, and kind of the appeal to judge uh, and even destroy those enemies at the end. So that's kind of in the mix. Uh, pretty significantly. How, do, how does that work? What's the significance in the relationship between enemies and, and forgiveness? And um, I, I guess the way, uh, you know, I, I really uh, grappled with this um, a, a bit myself, but, you know, God God works through that. Uh, again, just to, to borrow a phrase from, from one of the theologians of our tradition, uh, that these afflictions, Uh, in this case, David's affliction from whether it was Paul or Absalom or whatever the specific situation was, um, are the voices of the law, right? Those, those, those distresses, those afflictions in life, in this case, uh, from another person, are the voices of the law, uh, either to point out specific sins uh, of the person who's uh, experiencing those things, or just in general to remind them, you know, you're a sinner, as we're all daily, daily in need um, of forgiveness. So that, even though, on the one hand, uh, David is uh, is complaining, like he said, kind of laying it all out there and complaining about the enemy. Um, on another sort of deeper level, in a sense, um, just as in other cases in the Old Testament specifically, God is, I think we would conclude, ultimately behind that. God, God is using that enemy ultimately for David's good, just as he does afflictions, distresses of various sorts in our own lives, to bring us closer to him. Uh, to, to sort of drive us to prayer, to motivate us to, to, to prayer. Um, I had a, had a note on this later on, uh, but I'll, 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 bring it up here. Um, Luther, uh, says in the Galatians commentary that actually the worst thing that could happen to us is not to be afflicted in some way, mm. uh, because we're so easily, uh, drawn away from God or drift away, uh, because we feel like we have all we need and we're sort of secure and we secure and, uh, and content. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, I think your God is at work, obviously all things work together for good, even through enemies, even through afflictions, uh, even through, uh, even through distresses. Um, and once just to kind of connect this, we'll come back to it at the end, but the, but the enemy theme, um, you know, on the other side of things, I guess, or another aspect of the theme of enemies and, and how God works that through the law for the sake of forgiveness and driving us to Christ and so forth, um, is that God ultimately um, makes our enemies uh, his enemy for enemies, right? So he mm-hmm. fights for us. It's kind of Christ as a conqueror, you know, you can you can think, we don't often describe uh, perhaps or uh, think think those terms, you know, Christ, he's the victor over sin, death, and devil, right? Easter is, is, that, is that victory, um, and you see examples of that sort of theme, you know, God fights for you, you know, Exodus, you know, stand still and you'll see uh, the victory that the Lord uh, will will achieve for you. So on the one hand, you know, he sort of sends, he sends the enemy, right? God sends distress. He, he works in history. He works in our lives. Uh, the voice of the law through that affliction but on the other hand he works in a gospel way right he he, he fights against our enemies on our behalf uh, in his in his time and, uh, and in in his way um, and it's interesting that you know there's there's a lot of there's some death language in here uh, too in, in, in describing his enemies and maybe it's obviously you know very well could be uh, the threat of you know physical death but he also des- he describes it in a metaphorical, uh, way He has a several different metaphors in here, but he says in verse 3, like, like those are long dead. Uh, so this experience, you know, death is, is sort of a complex <laughs> reality in a way too, right? I mean, there's physical death, there's spiritual death. These afflictions and these distresses uh, are a sort of death. Uh, it, it, it's like being uh, cut off from God. It seems like God is, is absent um, in, in the midst of that.
0: And as, a, as the author, as David speaks, I love how at the beginning he said he's, he, he's speaking in a way that we would not speak to others. And then at the same time, you know, you have this uh, fight the good fight with all your might kind of language because, you know, Christ is, is your right. You know, he's right there. He's fighting with you because our enemies are his enemies. And that's, that's a great perspective for us to remember, especially as we come to him in prayer That he is on your side, not somebody, the the enemy's side whatsoever. But right now, Pastor, we need to take our break. We are studying and praying Psalm 143 with Pastor Jason Sinkson, and we'll be right back.
1: Take a look around you. Look closely.
0: Welcome back. We are studying and praying Psalm 143 with Dr. Pastor Dr. Jason Singson of Concordia University in Mequon, Wisconsin. And Dr. Singson. we have uh, gotten through the first four verses, and there's a wonderful language, and one of them that I really wanted to hear your thoughts is in verse four, where it speaks about, my spirit faints within me, my heart within me is appalled. Now... To that, we can read that, Um, but to me, I think it really tells us a lot about where David was at and why that's important for us to see a Christian person, um, well, uh, struggling uh, because we can make it sound like the perfect life that is there. And so David is describing something quite deep within his soul. So um, what are your thoughts on David and what do you find on that verse in verse 4?
1: Okay. Well, again, yeah, thanks. I mean, obviously, you know, our life is, is lived out, you know, under the cross, not just, you know, the, the fallen nature of this world and so forth, but we're not exempt <laughs> from that as as Christians. I mean, both the, the church of old, old, old and new Testament, um, you know, I, again, I, I back to that kind of voice of the law and that, that affliction for the sake of bringing us to repentance and so forth that uh, I was just looking for the word uh, uh, specifically here, um, Uh, Maybe maybe I'm having a hard time finding it in my text. Maybe it comes up later on. But, you know, God, uh, there's this external sort of threat of some sort. Like I said, it's not described in great detail, but in metaphorical ways, crushed me to the ground and and all this and that. But it causes this, this voice of the law, this external incarnational affliction sort of that he's experiencing brings about this internal distress. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, again, ultimately, Uh, where where God wants us to be to realize you know um, sort of that narrow place like there's no you know we we can't get out uh, of this on our own again that utter dependence upon God that receptive passive receiving uh, entirely uh, from God Um, and so he's yeah he's he's trying to bring him to that so that um, again as we as we as we move toward five then right where now he's God brings us to that narrow place where we don't have anything to hold on to uh, that we realize is going to work so that we look sort of outward again, right? So he he's using these external voices of the law, experiences, calamities, afflictions, and so forth as sort of a visible, tangible word of the law to bring us to this distress, this despair of ourselves as a source of hope. And then, again, not, not to not to skip ahead too fast here, but five, we're really turning to uh, god is the source i remember sort of you and what you've done that my hope is not within me right i might feel this way or that way but my certainty the certainty of my hope uh and, my, and and certainly for my forgiveness but of any other deliverance sort of under that heading is found outside of myself right in you uh in and in your word and that's that's where the that's where the comfort comes from right when we realize it's it's not found within me. Um, that we accept, um, uh, as as the psalms and other sort of uh, similar material in the Bible does. That we accept that God has the right to lay those things upon us. Uh, we know that for the sake of Christ and and in Him, um, He's not sort of meeting out uh, what we ultimately deserve in the last day, because that that's fallen on the on the shoulders of Christ. Uh, but that that it has a different purpose. We can accept that. We can still ask for you know lighten the load of this discipline, you know, help me now, as, as David does in this text. Um, forgiveness is certain in Christ. Uh, how God deals with us in the meantime in his fatherly way, of course, is, is at his discretion. But we know it's good. We know it's good, uh, we know it's good. Uh, in Christ. We're, we're, we're assured of that.
0: So let's read, uh, Dr. Sinxon five and six, because it has wonderful language. And I'm, I'm reminded of this. It's been a theme in my mind. Is one time in confirmation class, I asked the kids, "What's the power of prayer? What does it mean to you?" And you know, you're going to get a lot of weird answers from confirmation kids. But one of the best answers I've ever heard is this young lady. Um, she's now boy. She's got to graduate from college. Is that she said, "I like prayer because when I tell God stuff, He doesn't tell anybody else." And so so you can almost feel David writing this with the confidence that the Lord um, uh, will listen to him and that the Lord has provided for him in the past. So I I want to have that filter as we read the rest of our time. So verses 5 and 6. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. I was, I was reading and pondering this a little bit, uh, Dr. Sinkson, I want to hear your thoughts, is I love the language, I stretch out my hands to you, and as a father, you remember those times when your children, when they were young, when they would reach out their hand for you because they wanted to be by their dad. And that is a wonderful, I think, visual for me, at least, to realize that we stretch out our hands to the Lord in prayer, knowing full well that he's going to grab a hold of us. And so when he remembers the days of old, what is David remembering here? How would you describe these two verses?
1: Yeah, I will. And I, since you brought up, uh, since you brought up the the fatherly uh, our vocation there as fathers, I uh, I think of that too in my own experience. I remember when one of my younger my younger daughter was was very young, and you know sometimes kids are really attached to their their mom and in those days. And I'm like, oh, you know, when are they gonna really latch onto me and so forth? <laughs> I remember my younger daughter Rachel got hurt or something. And I was expecting her to turn to mom. And instead she turned to me and raised her arms up and wanted me to pick her up. And I, I just, I shed a tear, you know, that, wow, you know, she, she, she wants dad for comfort here. Right. And I was just thinking about what you're saying there that, you know, God, God wants us to turn to him. I guess I'm, I'm talking about uh, the second verse here, but Mm -hmm. um, God wants us to turn to him, not, not to others. Right. But to him alone, he's the only one who can, you know, who has the power the only, he's the only one, right, who can, can answer those prayers. Um, I love verse five. I love this kind of language of remembrance. Um, and uh, I was thinking kind of Old Testament and New Testament, you know, in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses, uh, as I describe it in an academic setting, I say, you know, Moses' last lecture. You know, or as a past, you know, his last sermon, so to speak, he doesn't get to go into the promised land. But it's filled with this talk of remembrance, remember the Lord your God, remember how God, you know, and pointing them back, um, but with a view to the future, right? So that's, that's how the Bible works and how God's faithfulness over time uh, in the covenant that he has made and ultimately fulfilled in his son uh, and so forth. God is absolutely faithful. And we can look at these examples in scripture and also in our own lives and church history and so forth too, but specifically and certainly in scripture of how God has delivered. What has he done? What has he promised? How has he already delivered on that? And from that draw the assurance uh, of what he is, what he can and will, will do uh, both, both now and the future. So there's just such a comfort in that. You know, again, we can apply it in our own lives too, as we think about difficult, uh, distresses as we look back over our lives in faith like how is the lord you know, sometimes we get some insights in that as we reflect on what he's doing in scripture How how is that true for me that you have you showed yourself faithful in the past in this way and so we grow in confidence we grow in joy and certainty that even though it's even though there's distress and it hurts um, the lord uh, he's faithful he's with us uh, you know it's not always going to be this way, you know. He, he promised of eternal life and so forth, um, and even just, you know, again, lots, lots of examples. Lots of examples come to mind, but I'll just, I'll just give one other here, one other one too. That's this language of, not language explicitly of remembrance, but this idea of God has been faithful, will, will in the future. Romans eight twenty eight, you know, says that God, who did not spare his own Son, how will he all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Right. So if we remember. As Christians, sometimes we lose sight of that, that whatever we're going through uh, right now uh, is so painful or difficult or it seems like we're in such a narrow place, that place of distress, and there's just no way forward. And it feels like this, again, death-like experience, but that if we look, we got to keep our eyes focused on the sun, uh, on the cross, on the resurrection. Uh, God who did not spare his own son, how will he not also graciously all, uh, work together all things? I know that that goodness of God, that faithfulness is true because it's, it's it was true in Christ, and so that colors everything that we look at in terms of uh, our hope, uh, both now and and um, and beyond this life. Um, and and one other thing too, just if if I may on five, just <laughs> the whole idea of again we you you set it up so well with you know scripture and prayer and praying the psalms. And that, um, you know, the, the, the psalm itself really is pointing back, you know, to what God has done uh, in the past, his acts of del- his works, his acts of deliverance and so forth. And that's that's often what we do in prayer. Right. There are lots of different ways to express it. Uh, but in church, you know, we often uh, many congregations use this colic form, right, where we're 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 basically saying, uh, God, you've done this and such or this is the kind of God you are. Uh, please carry that out now, as you've done in the past, and as you've promised to do. So that that remembrance of the past that provides hope and comfort for the present as well as the future. God is God is going to be faithful in the midst of all that. Um, and and you know, six is six is really uh, and I uh, six is really rich as well in terms of the imagery there. That uh, thirsty um, language. I think that's the way the the ESV. Uh, expresses it, mm-hmm. um, you know. Psalm, Psalm 42 is a great one, I think, beloved by many too. Like the deer uh, pants for streams of water, so my soul uh, for you, my soul thirsts for you. In this passage, a, a, little, a little bit different, right? Um, here it's it's not this sort of animal uh, image of the deer, but it's, it's more of a agricultural, I guess, metaphor. We're talking about the ground, uh, which is a rich. Uh, imagery in scripture, you know, God talks about His people as a, as a vineyard. Psalm 1, if you want to stick within Psalms, the, the tree, we're like a tree, the wise person, the person of faith, Christian faith is, is like a tree planted by streams of water that God nourishes and, and so much New Testament imagery as well. Jesus says, I'm the, I'm the vine, I'm going to give you the spirit, the living water. So without that, without that connection to Jesus, the vine, without the spirit, the living water, we're dry. Uh, we're, we're, just, we're just, we're dry, uh, we're, we're not going to be able to get that uh, uh, nourishment uh, for ourselves.
0: And I really, there, there's so much imagery here that really brings us back to what you have been telling us from the beginning, is that we have a righteous God, and, and we are able to look back on how he has been faithful to us. And you see this a lot in the in the life of, of, of the Christian, where sometimes we just need to look back, and like you said with Moses, to remember, okay, all right, he led us through the wilderness, he's led us through um, being thirsty, which, which points us to this as well, um, hungry when he provided the food, he kept us from our enemies, all of this. And that's good for us as Christians to be able to look back, even in the sense of the church, to say, remember those days where we really struggled financially? Remember those days when we lost a very beloved member and didn't think we'd move on? Remember those days when we lost our pastor? Remember those days of this? Remember those days of that? And to be able to then say, but I, I've seen how the Lord has been faithful. And that's really how I see this is that there are many times we will thirst for the Lord. and But we, he brings us back to the past and then makes us realize for now he is with us and in the future he'll be with us as well. So verses 1 through 6, I think, captures that. So, Dr. Singston, anything else you want to share in those first six verses?
1: Um, yeah, I was just thinking about some of the things you were saying there, too, you know, of God, um, you know, like, like Deuteronomy 8, I think, you know, he caused you to hunger and then he, he fed you. So, you know, again, God, God works through all these things, you know, maybe causing us to thirst, realizing our, our, our great need for him. Uh, and then satisfying us with that. But I, the other thing real quick I was going to say, too, is I think that this pattern of, you know, lamenting, you know, sort of this urgency of the appeal and the lament and then the remembering and turning to God in confidence, obviously we, we go through that again and again. Um, the lament, the, the the kind of, you know, anxious feeling or however we described it, the faint heart and so forth, um, it doesn't have to end in despair. The Psalms, The Psalms, obviously, it doesn't end there. Uh, you can lay that out there. You can express it honestly, but the, the key is uh, that, that as Christians, we don't stop there. We, we then are brought to, God brings us to remember, like you said, his faithfulness and the hope that we have in Christ. Um, and so there's a way forward. He's done it for us in the past in our own lives. He's done it throughout the history of his people and creation and the church, and he will continue to do so to the end of the age. So, um, We keep going through that (laughs) pattern, right, of repentance and forgiveness and remembering, forgetting maybe, and being brought to remembrance.
0: Let's continue on, verses 7 through 9. Answer me quickly, O Yahweh, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way that I should go, for to you I lift up my soul deliver me from my enemies O Yahweh I have fled to you for refuge so once again he's pleading with the Lord to come to him to to uh to all of these things and in this wonderful prayer reminder of how we should pray how how would you describe these this prayer in verses seven through nine
1: yeah um, again it's just the, the the urgency of it the answer um, I think it's there's still kind of that um, uh in seven, you know, my spirit fails, so it seems like it's a little bit of a, a transition. they still hurting. Um but uh what 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 struck me in a way is just the you know sort of the face um uh, imagery here of God God hiding hiding his face, right? Um that we we don't want God to be sort of turned uh, away from us. and we're we're in the realm of, you know, darkness, death dryness all these kind of afflictions that David's sort of reflecting in this text i don't want to be in that situation um i need you to uh turn turn toward me right i think of <laughs> think of the the ironic benediction right and which which uh number six you know uh the lord bless and keep lord make his face shine upon you um and and that's that's a blessing right that we he looks upon us in grace gracious to us and, and, and forgive forgive our sins and ultimately again that that sort of faith imagery in the old testament talks about no one can see god and and live but as paul says uh in second corinthians um we do now now by faith uh see the light paul says the glory of god in the face of christ jesus well it's, it's still hidden to us right it's not visible he's he's present You know, in the incarnation, according to both natures uh, in the sacrament, in in the word, he's present among us, but not visibly, um, but one day, uh, one day visibly, right? That which we receive invisibly through the word, uh, in, with, and under the bread and wine, the body and blood of Christ, one day we will see uh, him face to face, you know, touch, touch the hand, feel the, feel the scars, uh, just, just like, uh, just like Thomas thomas did um and so uh again he's saying he's saying don't uh you know let your face shine upon me and so forth as i said earlier we we can be confident that god god is not going to turn his face away from us he's, he's not going to abandon us and our assurance of that is the cry of christ on the cross my god my god why have you forsaken me mm-hmm. right since he he's, there was one forsaken one righteous israelite uh, one second Adam that was forsaken uh, so that we, we need never be forsaken, right. But adopted and, and accepted and so forth. Um, yeah. Um, verse, just to kind of hit eight and uh, mm-hmm. um, in, in, in nine here. Um, you know, um, you know, sometimes I like to kind of look at different uh, language in the text in terms of just playing off of different words, right. So he begins with this appeal to listen. He's asking God to listen and then in eight, he's saying, "God caused um, caused uh, cause me, um, excuse me, uh, let let me hear, or in a sense, cau- caused me to hear. Right? God is going to make David hear. Uh, God, David wants God to hear. God is going to make David hear uh, about your steadfast uh, love, right? Um, and so." Again, um, earlier we talked about, or I mentioned the phrase like afflictions or calamities, distresses, the pursuit of the enemy is, is, the, is the voice of the law in our experience. Um, the gospel uh, is not something that's part of our natural experience, right? It has mm-hmm. to come from outside of us. It has to come from God uh, through his word. God has to cause us to hear it, right? And that's why we read scripture. That's why we... We preach. Faith comes through hearing. Uh, that's why we, you know, baptize the, the supper. Those those things are uh, come to us from the outside. The means of grace, the word, the visible word, um, and uh, so that God through those things causes us uh, to to hear yeah. Him, causes us to know Him, to know to know His uh, His path.
0: So, so Dr. Singson, as we look at eight and nine, we have about uh, eight minutes left of our time. I want two words that I think really strike me in seven through nine, Mm -hmm. and then we move on is steadfast love and refuge. Those words really struck off for me when, when you were speaking. And so can you unpack just for a very short time, steadfast love? And when it says that I have fled to you for refuge, what is he saying? Any thoughts on those two things?
1: Um, Sure. Yeah. I mean, steadfast love is, uh, is is a really kind of important um, old Old Testament word. Um, Again, both, um, it's, again, this it's, it has faithfulness. It's translated different different ways, right? But um, God is always God is always faithful, um, and he's and uh, though we fall away, though we though we stumble, though we have these anxious thoughts and so forth, God is always going to be there. Um, we can we can always return to Him. We can be brought uh, back to Him, uh, and, and so forth. Um, and and um, just this idea of. Like I said, the the refuge it's a frequent uh, a frequent theme in the in the Psalms. And the irony of, of, of that image, I guess, in many ways, <laughs> is that God is God is our refuge from the wrath of God, right? So God God threatens us uh, justly uh, with punishment because of our sins, uh, but we flee to God because God is the only uh, place in 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 Christ where we can find refuge and deliverance uh, and be safe. Uh, uh, from, from the wrath that our sins deserve. Right. And, and, um, if you want to, again, see that in a very specific, uh, Christological sense of, you know, in, in the, uh, the, the rock, I guess, uh, the rock of age is cleft for me, or just taking prices yeah. in a sense, kind of the cave, uh, in which, you know, the, the, the storm, I guess you want to, the, the hurricane, the, the fire, whatever image you want to kind of use for wrath, uh, passes by, uh, and, and we're safe, uh, we're safe. We're safe in Christ. Um, it's a safe place. It is the only safe place.
0: Uh, Let's keep moving forward here, uh, Dr. Sinksen. We have about five minutes left, and I really want yeah. to get to these last verses, 10 through 12, as David cont- finishes off his prayer. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your namesake, O Yahweh, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. So how would you describe these last three verses? I've seen a number of references to it, but it's interesting language that he uses. Like I said, we only have a few minutes left, but I want to... You to run with it how you see it these last few. Weeks. I
1: will try. I will try my best. <laughs> uh, again, I like that. Again, um, you know, we talked about God as, as sort of protector and provider, and you know, He's the only source of forgiveness. And I see really kind of a, uh, a sanctification, uh, if you want to think of it in terms of creedal terms. Here, teach me, guide me. Uh, what is, what is your will and so forth? And you were talking about the Micah commentary, you know, let us go to the mountain of the Lord so that he may teach us his way so that we may walk in his path. You know, God is our teacher. Uh, he does that through his word. He does that through means as it's expressed through our pastors, through others who teach us, our parents and so forth. But God is ultimately uh, our teacher, uh, to do your will, to do the thing that pleases you, right? So God God reveals what is will for us. We don't have to make up good works. He tells us explicitly what they are. Mm. And we know as Christians that those works um, are are not pleasing in and of themselves per se, right? Although God tells us what they are, but they're pleasing for the sake of faith in Christ. Without faith in Christ, without faith, apart from faith, um, it's it's impossible to please Him. We've got the Spirit explicitly uh, mentioned here and really in sort of a johannine you know gospel of john sort of way where he leads us the spirit that i will send you you know will guide you will lead you it's the same uh, greek word that's used in translation here that comes up in john so i think that's that's kind of interesting from in the spirit really? uh yeah. verse 11 um again the, for for your namesake the appeal to god why is why is david what's what's the basis of his confidence right that god's going to forgive his sins it's not found in himself Psalm 51 says, according to your steadfast love, according to your great compassion, um, here it's for the sake of your name. So it's an appeal to the gospel, to God's nature as a gracious and, and loving God. And um, yeah, and finally, again, we've talked about enemies and kind of the relationship, the afflictions that we face and how God works through that to bring us to repentance and to uh, grant us the forgiveness. He works through the enemies, but he also fights uh, against the enemies on our behalf. And that's, that's really where uh, he's ended here. Um, for us, you know, hopefully, you know, we don't have the kinds of enemies of a sort that are really uh, pursuing our physical lives. But we do have, you know, a sin, death, and the devil, which are uh, equally as lethal in, uh, in, 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 in their own way, right? So we, we, have, we have enemies, too. Uh, we walk in danger all the way, uh, one hymn says, right? So we, we need God to deliver us. Uh, God makes our enemies his and in Christ uh, overcomes them, wins wins the victory, right? And um, so that's, it ultimately, I think, ends in that hopeful note, even though maybe the psalm expresses it in a little different way than than we think of it, but just to know that God is fighting for us. Uh, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, Mm. uh, making enemies friends. And uh, those who would fight against us, uh, God, uh, again, God is there to protect us. Uh, and to win the victory ultimately and bring us to eternal life.
0: Now, Dr. Sinkson, as we look at this psalm, um, as we talked about, this is a penitential psalm, which is, you know, one of those realities. But let's just say that you're in class and uh, they want a psalm for a certain occasion and they tell you what their soul care need is, which is one of the beauties of being a professor, that you're able to still care for souls in your work as pastors do as parents and so forth. If someone were to, this psalm, when would be an appropriate time to encourage someone to read or to pray this psalm with you? When would that be appropriate to use this psalm?
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, again, there's so much in our world that, that overwhelms us. and It's, it's different for, for, for different people. But um, again, you know, maybe final exams, I, <laughs> I guess, in terms of student life. You know, it's interesting that the church, you know, that we come to what, uh, uh the end of the church year, if I'm getting this right here, and then Advent, which has a kind of an eschatological end time scene there, kinda of comes around around final exam time. So we're we're always sort of confronted with that in the church year and the and the academic calendar. So but just to just to remember you again to call call to mind, um, to be able to express honestly, as you said earlier, those distresses, you know, whether it's in the student's life or a certain phase in our life where we just feel like maybe God's against us or everyone's against us lay that out honestly, realize the certainty of our forgiveness in Christ uh, for the sake of the name of God, which has been placed on us in baptism, um, and, uh, and, and be bold to pray those petitions for help, you know, uh, mitigation, relief uh, from maybe the distresses that we're experiencing, if that's, if that's God's will. And ultimately to know, I like the way, maybe to bring it um, back to this, the servant language, we belong to God. We we are his. It doesn't say child here, but servant, but we're, we're his. Uh, he's placed his name on us, uh, in water and word, his triune name, and we belong to him. And he, he's not going to forsake us, uh, regardless of, of whatever the experience, whatever experiences to the contrary, feelings on the inside, circumstances on the outside, uh, his, his commitment to us, uh, is, is absolutely faithful and certain.
0: Dr. Jason.
1: That's a rock rock of certainty in the midst of an uncertain world.
0: Amen to that. Dr. Jason Sinkson, theology professor at Concordia University in Mequon, Wisconsin, helping us to pray God's strong word from Psalm 143. Dr. Sinkson, thank you for being our guest and giving us the gifts. My pleasure. Saints of our Lord, keep praying. We pray that he hears us, and he does. Our spirit may fail, we might be failures as the world may see it, but he is the one that preserves our life and he wants to hear us. He preserves us, he he is there for us. We lament and realize our brokenness, but his steadfast love endures forever. Keep praying for his steadfast love is yours in Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.